Let's turn our Bibles to Nehemiah. We're going to actually have our last message in Nehemiah this morning. You know that we took a break uh, during the Christmas holidays, and there's no way that we were going to let this last portion of Nehemiah go undone. Um, this is a glorious uh, piece of holy scripture. And to give honor to God's holy word, let's stand together as we look at Nehemiah 13. Nehemiah 13, stand if you're able, and we'll read together verses 23 through the end of the chapter. This is God's holy and infallible word. In those days, I also saw that the Jews had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. As for their children, half spoke in the language of Ashdod, and none of them was able to speak the language of Judah, but the language of his own people. So I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, you shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take of their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin regarding these things? Yet among the many nations there was no king like him, for he was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, the foreign women caused even him to sin. Do we then hear about you that you have committed all this great evil by acting unfaithfully against our God by marrying foreign women? Even one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Elisha, the high priest, was a son-in-law of Sanballat the Horonite. So I drove him away from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I purified them from everything foreign and appointed duties for the priests and the Levites, each in his task, and arranged for the supply of the wood at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O my God, for good. Let's pray together. As we look at your holy word, we ask, O Father, as Nehemiah prayed, that you would remember us for good, that you would remember us as we hear your word, that your Holy Spirit would work mightily in our hearts and minds as we receive the word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would work in me as I preach the word, help us to receive and believe, and thereby from your holy word to grow in grace. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Undoubtedly, we should be hearers of God's word, especially when it is read. Uh, we should endeavor to live according to what we hear when the word of God is read. Now, I believe in Nehemiah, we have more public readings recorded than any other book of the Bible. There's a tremendous amount of public reading of Scripture in Nehemiah. Um, now, you might ask yourself, well, why don't we just have... Dr. Joe or Dr. Barnard or myself just read scripture instead of having a sermon. We could just 
come to church, sing hymns, and one of us get up and read scripture for 20, 30, 20, 30 minutes, and then sing some more hymns and do the rest of the worship, and then I'll go home. Well, if you look at the book of Nehemiah more carefully, it wasn't just the reading of scripture. Uh, it's in your notes there that in, in Nehemiah 8.8, 8, Ezra and the Levites, they read from the book of the law, they read from the law of God, but they gave translation to give the sense so that those who heard understood the sense of what was being taught. So it wasn't just reading, it was teaching the sense of what was taught. And that's what we do in preaching. Preaching is, you call, we call it exposition or explanation of what Scripture says. But it's also application of what Scripture says as well. And this is, I hope you've found that this is a book with a great deal of application for our lives. Uh, in today's text, um, we're doing something maybe that you might say, that well, this is a repeat of something we heard earlier. If you look back at the beginning of the chapter, in verse 3, it says, When they heard the law, they excluded all foreigners from Israel. So there already was some sort of... Um, purging of the foreign uh, women and marriages and things of that sort earlier. But what's different in today's text? Well, as we come to look at, there's a historical illustration using Solomon. It's very valuable. That helps us to bring home um, what he's teaching here. But in addition, he's teaching some of his actions and some of the, uh, again, the, the reasoning why, according to biblical principle, why we're, we should not marry foreign women. Now, because this book is in the first person, we know that Nehemiah is the author. Um, he often writes, I've done this, I said this, I did that. But in, in chapters 1 and 2, Nehemiah uh, mentions that it was in the 12th year of King Artaxerxes that he was beginning uh, his work. He was granted leave from the king to go to the land of Judah to help rebuild the walls to help rebuild the gates that had been destroyed, those portions that had been destroyed. Uh, it's recorded in chapters 3 through 12 of this great book, not only the physical repairs to the city, but we also have social reform. We have great worship. We have revival. I would call it a spiritual revival found in this particular book. As we get to chapter 13, uh, this is shortly after... Nehemiah had a period of leave of going back to, the, to serve the king. The king had called upon him to return, and that was in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes. Now, at first, it was only 20 years that he was there as governor, but he stayed for 32 years, and then even went back for some time longer. Again, after 33 years of ministry, well, I, would, I would call it ministry, he was ministering as a governor, uh, but as ministering as a governor, there was still a lot of problems in the land of Judah. Namely, one that we find today is in the family and regarding marriage. And let's look at today's text according to uh, this main focus that God calls you to flee Solomon's sin of marrying unbelievers. And we'll see this in two main points. We'll look at defining the sin of marrying unbelievers. And then secondly, flee the sin that ruined even Solomon. So let's look at this first main point, the sin of marrying unbelievers. Verse 23 and 24. Verses 23 and 24. In those days I also saw that the Jews had married women from Ashdod, 
Ammon, and Moab. As for their children, half spoke the language of Ashdod, and none of them was able to speak the language of Judah, but the language of his own people, his own pagan people, you could say. Now, this this is considered a sin based upon what they read at the very beginning of the chapter. Let's look back there. Uh, Nehemiah 13, 1 and 2. They read aloud from the book of Moses, that's Deuteronomy 23, 3, and and other verses. They read aloud from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and there was found written in it that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God because they did not meet with the sons of Israel uh, with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Uh, the original passage there in Deuteronomy 23, 3 says none, speaking of the Ammonite and the Moabite, none of them to the 10th generation shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord. That's what's said there in, in 23, uh, Deuteronomy 23, 3, which they read. Now how could, how could we have then Ruth the Moabitess entering in as a, as a Jewish proselyte? Well, um, one of the things is that she disavowed her people of, of the Moabites. And she uh, vowed to live as an Israelite, as she promised Naomi. Where you go, I will go. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. That's found in Ruth 1, 16 and following. But here in today's text, in Nehemiah 13, 23 and following, we don't have women of foreign nations that are religious, devout proselytes. And we see that in the resulting, um, in the resulting children of these um, marriages. The kids did not know the language of God's holy word, the language of Judah. They couldn't speak the language of Scripture because they were not taught the Holy Scriptures. Now, in order for them to be taught the Holy Scriptures in the homes or in many places, they would have had to know what the Hebrew Bible said and in the Hebrew language. And you think if you were a Hebrew man that you would make that commitment to, that your children would know the language of your people because that's the language, that only language that the Bible was translated in. They didn't have uh, translations of the scriptures in Ashdod, in the language of Ashdod, in the language of Ammon, and in the language of Moab. Um, earlier um, in the book, there are the, they are reading and translating the word of God to these people, giving them the sense and understanding, because nobody had a record except what was being translated on the fly. And that's why they wept when they heard God's word, because some of them probably haven't heard it before. Can you imagine, you know, you're, you're, you're a Hebrew growing up in this land of Judah and you haven't, you speak a different language, you haven't even heard God's word ever because you've been raised in a family and it wasn't important enough for your mother and your father to, to make sure that you learned the language of Holy Scripture. And that's especially, um, again, why um, this was a bad idea. The kids that were the results of these, uh, I would call them 
unlawful marriages. The kids that were the results of these unlawful marriages were more the products of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab rather than the products of the God of Israel and the faith of his people. Now, the Jews sinned by marrying unbelievers who were clearly not devout proselytes. So let's look at Nehemiah's reaction in verse 25. So I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and plucked out their hair and made them swear by God, you shall not give your daughters to their sons nor take their, of their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Now, think about verse 25 for a minute, and let's wonder if, if the session of Pineville Presbyterian Church exercises church discipline like this. What do you think? Well, I don't think so. Well, I would say the reason, there's reason behind Nehemiah's actions here. Nehemiah was the governor. And remember, he was both a spiritual leader and a social reformer, and a, he was a magistrate. He had the power within his office to go and take people and have them flogged in the city center. And if somebody committed a terrible sin, such as um, you know, sodomy or, or murder or something of that sort, or even adultery, they could be executed in the, city, in the center of the city. He had that power. That's why we have Nehemiah taking physical action here, I believe. And the reason I bring that up is because if we look back, and I have it here in your outline, the very same sin happened. And when Ezra, the scribe, witnessed the same sin, of course, back in Ezra's time, it was marrying not just three groups of pagans. It was like at least a list of five or six. This is what he said. I tore my garment and my robe and pulled out some of the hair from my head and my beard and sat down appalled. And one of the things a minister told me when I was getting ordained is to remember that your office is declarative. You're to declare God's word. You're not, we don't go about inflicting physical chastisement. Now, there, there is discipline in God's church. If somebody disobeys God's word, they are disciplined by being excommunicated. And if a person is disciplined by being excommunicated, I think I would rather have some hairs pulled out of my, my beard and my, my head, all of my hairs pulled out rather than me being excommunicated and being cast out of God's church. But again, more Christian parents should heed this firm commitment that was encouraged by Nehemiah in verse 25. We should say this, We shall not give our daughters to their sons, nor take of their daughters for our sons. Whose daughters? The pagans' daughters, the unbelievers' daughters. Now, for this to work, you have to realize that we have to have a practice. We have to understand that the biblical practice is more of courtship with the guidance of Christian parents rather than a failing dating system that is so common in our day. I, I asked a parent once and I said, you know, I believe in biblical courtship. And he says, oh, that's crazy sound, and that's really weird and old-fashioned. My daughter should date whoever they want to date. Well, we, I know somebody in a particular family that was dating a, and this wasn't even a Christian family, but was dating somebody who was a notorious drug dealer. 
and they this non well quasi Christian family basically uh, took her and said, "We're packing your bags. If you're going to be with him, you're not going to be part of this family." Uh, well, she she hurried up and broke off the relationship. But you know whether they realized it or not, they were practicing biblical courtship by guiding the purity and care of their daughter by not letting her marry someone who is notoriously wicked. And that made sense to this guy. Um, but more Christians should take a, uh, a care in that. And I think also sessions, because it's really a session issue as well. If somebody goes on and marries an unbeliever, that's a, that's a, a reason for church discipline. Um, parents and church sessions should do everything that they can to see that church members, young and old, keep 2 Corinthians 6, 14, and 15. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. You could translate that. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? That's the devil. Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? We are to flee this sin that ruined even Solomon. That's our second point. Flee this sin that ruined even Solomon. Look at verse 26. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin regarding these things? Yet among the many nations there was no king like him, especially in wisdom. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, the foreign women caused even him to sin. Now regarding verse 26, the, uh, the New King James, I believe, gives a, a better passage that we can apply today, a, a better translation of the passage. It says, Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him, that's Solomon, to sin. It's better to understand this as not just foreign women, but pagan women. I was joking with Marianne that, you know, is it permissible for me to marry a, an Italian? Well, she's Italian-American, but, you know. But really, what they're getting at here is not, it's not foreign women, it's pagan women. Well, at the time, any foreign woman during this time in, in biblical history was a pagan woman. But the sense of Holy Scripture here is pagan women. Now, marrying someone from a foreign nation, any foreign nation whatsoever is permissible, as long as they are, according to our standards, a member in good standing in a Bible-believing church. They cannot be infidels, papists, or other idolaters. So they can't be Roman Catholics. They can't be, um, um, they can't be Buddhists, and they, and they can't be uh, Muslim but they have to be Christians in good standing in a Bible-believing church. Nor can they be notoriously wicked in their life or maintain damnable heresies. That's a Confession of Faith 24, Section 3. Now, Solomon committed wicked sin by compromising and marrying pagan women, and these women did not hold the faith of Israel. Now, let's look at how, what happened there. Let's go back to first. Keep your place in Nehemiah. But we'll go back to 1 Kings, 1 Kings 11. For time's sake, I might not be able to read all of this, but I'll read starting at verse 1, 1 Kings 11. 
Now, King Solomon loved many foreign, remember, pagan women, according to the New King James, along with the daughters of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away from after, other, after their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. And his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully as David his father had done. Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, on the mountain which is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon. Thus also he did for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. Now the Lord God was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning these things that he should not go after other gods, but he did not observe what the Lord had commanded. We'll stop there and go back um, to Nehemiah. Aside from Jesus Christ, who was undoubtedly the wisest man who ever lived on earth because he was the eternal Son of God who took on flesh, second only to Jesus, Solomon was the second wisest man who ever walked the earth. He spoke more than 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005, 1,005 songs. Men uh, came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon, from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Nehemiah pointed out that pagan women caused even him, even wise Solomon, to sin. Now, you may know your Bible exceptionally well, and you may be devoted to the Lord Jesus. But if someone sins in this regard, it is a compromise. It is committing a great evil by marrying an unbeliever. A pagan spouse can turn you even to cause you to sin. He or she can even cause you to one day reject the Lord Jesus Christ that you would no longer follow him. Keep in mind, brothers and sisters, none of us are greater than Solomon in this regard. Heed the warning of Solomon's sin and flee this sin. Nehemiah gave a final rebuke to those who sinned like Solomon. He said in verses 27 through 29, Do we then hear about you that you have committed all this great evil by acting unfaithfully against our God by marrying foreign foreign women, pagan women? 
Even one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was a son-in-law of Sanballat the Horonite, who was a ridiculous, wicked man. So I drove him away from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of of the priesthood and the Levites. Now if someone, either here or maybe someone who may hear this particular message later, has committed the sin of marrying an unbeliever as a Christian while knowing better, Scripture says here that it is a great evil by acting unfaithfully against our God. But it is not, it is not the unpardonable sin. 1 John 1, nine says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, what do you do after that? You do like what Nehemiah said. Make sure it doesn't happen to your kids after you. Don't give them to uh, those who do not believe in the Lord Jesus. Remember, you have a part to play as a Christian parent. And you teach your children from a young age that they only marry someone that the parents approve of. Again, it's a sin to marry an unbeliever according to today's text. According to today's text. Now, if you meet someone and they say they like to talk about the Lord Jesus or they say they even believe in the Lord Jesus, that's great. I'm happy for you. But if they're not committed to the means of grace and want to sit under the Word of God and want to worship the Lord and want to pursue the sacraments and and have um, prayer, public and private, if they don't pursue those things in a serious fashion, don't get in a serious relationship. Flee this sin that even ruined Solomon. Solomon, the second wisest man who ever lived on this earth, he even sinned in this regard by marrying pagan women. And we are not greater than him. It can happen to us as well. Keep in mind that your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is your greatest possession. Why would you not want a spouse who shares that with you? It's an absolute necessity. Let's pray together. We ask, O Father, that you would help us to put the Lord Jesus Christ first in everything. Help us especially to put the Lord Jesus Christ first in this most important of all decisions, second only to embracing the gospel. Help us, we pray, to put our blessed Lord Jesus first, to put you, O God, first in deciding whom we should marry. And for those who are married, we pray that you would strengthen our marriages and help us, we pray, to nurture our wives and help um, the wives nurture uh, the wives and husbands and fathers and wives to nurture their children in the fear and admonition of you, O Lord. Bless your people and be with us, for we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.